Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Ideally, it wouldn't be you from your company that does that walking the experience because your knowledge is already tainted. The idea that there are stages that lead to a decision is pretty basic, and yet, I mean, the reason we're still talking about it is because so often people don't bother to use that insight. For me, the definition of a customer journey is, you know, the steps that a customer would take, but it's what the customer would do, not what the organization thinks the customer should be doing. So, Ryan, we've had a request in from Brian in New York, and he wants to understand a bit more about some of the sort of the practical applications of what we've been doing and particularly around journey mapping. So in this podcast, we're going to talk through how we undertake journey mapping to hopefully give people some ideas, thoughts on what they should do and how they should go about it. Good. Well, journey mapping's not a brand new idea, but just in case anybody out there is not 100% sure on the concept, do you want to give them what's your favorite definition of journey mapping or how you think about it? Yeah, good point. So journey mapping is looking at the customer journey, but from a customer perspective. And that's the key, is looking at it from a customer perspective. So first piece here is there's a big difference between a process and an experience. Many people confuse their internal processes and what they think is going to happen and what actually the experience the customer has. So let me start by maybe asking you a question. And um, this is typically how we would talk about this at our training of this stuff. So can you talk me through, I'm sure you've gone through a drive through McDonald's in your life. Yes. So can you talk me through the steps of going to a drive through buying a McDonald's and afterwards? What happens? What are the 10 steps or however many steps you've got, but not 50 million? Sure. We can start with the process to decide to go. So the decision to go into a McDonald's drive through will never be when I'm alone in a car. McDonald's will not be my go-to. So if I'm going to McDonald's, it's because the kids are in the car and they have requested it. So that'll be kind of the initial part of that stage. And so then there's this process again before I even get to the window of gathering everybody's orders, which can be kind of stressful. Yep. If we've got enough time, I'll write them down beforehand. If not, I'll hope to remember them, which I won't. <laughs> and then wait, pull in, wait in line behind the other cars uh, until I get up to the spot. I'm always disappointed that there's not a menu like one car spot back from where they're barking at you to get your orders so i can actually figure out beforehand and i pull up to the box if it's a a good mcdonald's they'll have the digital readout display as i'm communicating with them and telling them my order i can see it If it's not we only hope we understand each other i then pull around 
pull to the first window and I pay and then I pull up to the second window and I wait a while and I get my order and then usually distribute it into the car or pull into a parking spot and distribute it in the car and then go on my way. Good. Okay. So that's a good example of a customer journey. And I think there's a couple of things that are interested in that. So the really good thing is that you recognize that the first step of the journey is actually you being in the car and you deciding to go. Mm. So oftentimes people that are doing journeys, you know, the key question is, where does it start? Right. Yeah. And many people consider the start to be when you were turning into McDonald's. And actually, as you rightly said, it's not. Yeah. It's a ways before that. As a company, as a firm, the start of the process is when I first see you for the first time. But from the customer's perspective, it's usually not. Yeah, no, absolutely. And therefore, the interesting part about that is that experience can start that's effectively outside of your control. So, you, you know, that may not be a part of your experience that you are controlling. And it could be that you are even starting to get into areas that are outside of your control. So let me tell you a quick story. I remember um, I was staying in a hotel uh, once. I've stayed in a hotel more than once, I have to reveal. (laughs) (laughs) But I just got off an international flight and I decided that I was going to call the shuttle to come and pick me up from the hotel. Uh, That's always fun. Yeah. An hour later, after being on an international flight, I'm still waiting. And I'm trying to rationalize the fact that this actually isn't their core job. Their core job is to provide me with a hotel room. But they've decided to extend their experience into picking me up. So they didn't, or they didn't for an hour. And it made me exceptionally annoyed. But the other interesting part about this story is it made me exceptionally annoyed because I was tired and I'd just gotten off a long flight. So uh, what's again, some of the learning from a journey mapping perspective? Well, you need to understand how your customer is feeling coming into that experience. So I was feeling particularly (laughs) ratty, as we would say, annoyed because I was tired. The interesting part in your journey in McDonald's is, It's surprising how stressed you get when you're placing the order, particularly when you've got 27 people. It's like when I pull up at a Starbucks and there's four or five of us in the car and one, you know, one person. Oh, gosh. It's a nightmare. Absolute nightmare. Because each copy order requires 30 separate words strung together, many of them not English words. Absolutely. And you're conveying this over to somebody and you're just feeling the stress. So, again, it's... When you're designing an experience, you've got to think about not just rational things, but you've got to think about emotional things. You rightly said that, you know, journey mapping has been around for a while. So, you know, and just to make be absolutely clear, for me, the definition of a customer journey is, you know, the steps that a customer would take. You've got to think about the beginning. You've got to think about where the end is. But it's what the customer would do not what the organization thinks the customer should be doing or the process, because there's a big difference between this process and an experience. 
But you've also got to think about this from that emotional side. Now, journey mapping has been around for a while. We've been doing it literally since the company was, I created the company back in 2002. I've actually, I've got some trivia for you, Colin. Yeah, go on. One of the earliest known, they weren't called journey maps back then, but kind of customer journey processes dates back. You want to guess? You want to guess how old in marketing lore? Mm. It was the AIDA model, attention, awareness, interest, right. desire, and action. Okay. Any idea how old that is? You want to guess? 100 years. Late 1800s wow. was when that was developed. Yeah. There you so go. this idea that you can break up a sales process or an experience process into a number of steps yeah. and then kind of create strategies around those steps. Very, very old idea. I mean, where we've gotten more sophisticated and I think where you're about to go is in addition to these generic models, which can be useful... You can also develop specific models for specific firms, specific segments of customers, and so on. So I interrupted you. I think that's where you're going. No, no, no. I, I actually do like to say there's nothing new under the sun because, you know, somebody's been doing this stuff. Well, I mean, the, the idea that there are stages that lead to a decision is pretty basic. Yeah. And yet, I mean, the reason we're still talking about it is because so often people don't bother to use that insight. Yeah, the reason we're talking about it is because I have to say a lot of organizations still don't do it correctly. Typically, they're only looking at what I would call the rational parts of an experience. So the rational parts are, in your example, you know, I'm pulling into the driveway, I'm going up to the, the menu, I'm giving my order, you know, those are the rational things. The interesting part is that emotional things. And, and what I've seen over the last few years is organizations starting to talk about emotions, which is great because we've been talking about it since 2002. But they're talking about it in the bit I think is wrong is they're talking about it in general terms mm. as opposed. So they're saying, yes, this is positive, this is negative, as opposed to saying, as you said, you know, I'm feeling stressed. And so in other words, being specific about which emotion is being evoked. And, and in my view, you've got to get into specifics. The other part that when we do journey mapping now and, and where we've evolved from is, and again, the regular listener will have no surprise on this, is we would be looking at what are the subconscious messages that you are receiving. Mm. So things like, you go into a bank and they put pens on chains, which says we think you're going to steal our pen. The other things is looking at it from that subconscious psychological side. So the fourth part is the psychological part. The really interesting one with the McDonald's example, and the example I would give here is, and it's going to be interesting if you actually do this, is the insight that actually what typically happens when people order a McDonald's, then they are given the pack, the first thing they do after they've been given their food is to check it. Mm. And because we've done this hundreds of times now, a lot of people just don't trust that they've been given right. the right food. Right. And so they check it. Now, it's only by observing people and what they're doing that you pick up that little bit of an insight. But that's an important aspect of it, of going, people have been effectively trained by McDonald's and other other organizations, that you have to do these things. It's a bit like the one I always like, and my wife is extremely good at, is when you're having a call with somebody at a call center, is saying, what's your name? Because she knows 
that if she doesn't ask the name when she phones back two days later because they haven't done what they've said they're going to do, right. they're effectively going to accuse. Yeah. Well, and and uh, you know, did you call? Well, we've got no record of your call. Right, right. You know, and you go, well, no, actually, I spoke to Mary. So, you know, the interesting part there is the organizations are effectively training customers to overcome some of their poor experiences. So, so first tip I would give everybody is when you're doing journey mapping, A, you've got to think about it from a customer perspective, not a process perspective. And B, you've got to think about rational, emotional, subconscious, what are those subconscious clues that you're giving and from a psychological perspective. So all the things that Ryan and I talk about on these podcasts, you know, we practically put into place when we're looking at a customer journey. Does that make sense? Yeah. And to your example, I didn't mention checking the bag uh, when you asked me what I do at McDonald's. There may be stages in these journeys that people don't realize that they're taking. They don't realize that they're doing. And by observing them, you can pick it out. Yeah. So the steps we would go through, and for the help of Brian in New York who asked this question, the steps that we would go through. The first thing we would do is we would do what we call walking the experience. So this is effectively acting as a customer. So you acting as a customer going through the process. And again, a common mistake here is people say, well, I work for the company. I I know exactly what we do. (laughs) I would say this not just because we're external consultants, but ideally it wouldn't be you from your company that does that walking the experience because your knowledge is already tainted. You know, you should genuinely be getting somebody that's never uh, experienced your journey before. Or if you're looking at a journey where, you know, it's a repeat thing that a customer does, then by all means get somebody else to do it. But the point being is a fresh pair of eyes is critical. There's a name for that. Psychologists call that the curse of knowledge. Okay. It's a cognitive bias. And the idea is that you can't unknow what you already know. Yeah. And so as an employee, I mean, you, you may be biased, you know, in favor of your product or in favor of the process. So there's these kind of emotional affective biases, but also you just, you can't unknow, you know, the process that customers are supposed to go through. Yeah, And so it's hard for you to take that step back and say, well, what would it be like to be a disoriented customer walking into the store for the first time and knowing what path they should take to go through the aisles efficiently? So yeah, this idea that getting somebody who doesn't know the right answers beforehand is just critically important. Yeah. And again, typically what we find is people make excuses for the company. Employees, they go, yeah, oh, yeah but that's because we've got system X, Y, Z, and that's causing the problem. And with respect, our view is, well, okay, we understand that that's the case, but you've got to understand that's still causing the problem. And uh, customers typically don't care. <laughs> yeah. And when we walk through that experience, you know, what we can do is look at these things with our trained eye to pick up this subconscious and psychological stuff and understand and interpret what's happening. So walking the experience is good. 
The next part is doing some form of research. So you may already have that research, but if you haven't got that research, then undertaking some research from a customer perspective. One of the ways that, again, we do that is that we do what we call experience walls. And if anybody wants to see this stuff, by the way, that this is all on our website, beyondphilosophy.com. Just go under services, and underneath that is what we call behavioral journey mapping. That is the title of what we do, basically, the name of what we do. So the important thing about this experience wall is visual. It basically are literally per step, and typically in a customer journey, it's our view should is that it should take 10 to 15 different steps. So each step is a sheet of brown paper, and you're effectively getting in a group of customers and you're talking through with them what's happening. So things like, and this is for what we call the as-is experience. So this is, if you're doing this, you know, today, what's that experience like? So we're looking at things like, what are they expecting should be happening here? So are they expecting that they should get a phone call from somebody? Are they expecting that when they call the contact center, how many rings the call should take? What questions are they expecting the person to say when they answer the call? What emotions are they feeling during that part of the process? What's the rational thing that they're trying to achieve? What's the objective? Things like what processes, systems are they interacting? What people are they interacting with? And looking at in detail, defining what we call this experience wall, which is a very detailed look at that customer journey. So once you've got your effectively your as-is experience laid down, and that's through doing customer research, but also getting employees involved in that as well, you can now start to say, okay, let's do some ideation. So let's come up with some ideas of what we can do. And again, I'm not going to bore people with it now, but we have a special way of doing ideation to get people to think outside the square, because you, you want unusual you want different ideas and typically if you're doing this well you can come up with a couple of hundred ideas i think our record is 677 different ideas wow for one journey the problem you've then got i, I think is, that was more than i had in all of college <laughs> absolutely but you can now imagine the problem you've now got is too many ideas too many <laughs> ideas and obviously some of them are big you know we need to change this system some of them are really small and you just go, hey, why don't we start putting flowers in the store or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's a whole filtering mechanism that we've devised that looks at things like what's the impact on the customer experience, how easy is it to do, what would be the cost of implementing this, which departments would be involved, what part of the journey you're looking at. So basically it's a bloody big spreadsheet which has got weighting on each of these different scores that can effectively help you whittle down the 677 ideas into you know here are the ones that we are going to start to look at in more depth next stage of the process would be we need to test those with customers so we would go out again to customers and talk to them about that idea and and see whether that fits or not and then we're into designing the new experience. So we're now looking at designing the to be 
experience. And the important part here, a couple of really important parts here, is you need to be designing that experience, again, from those four different aspects. So rational, what's the customer doing? Emotional, how is the customer feeling walking into this new part of new step of the customer journey? Uh Yeah, And what do you want them feeling walking out of that new step of the journey? You're also looking at the subconscious, and we did a podcast a little while ago on memory, and you remember we talked about cues and all that type of stuff. So, Uh you know, what subconscious things do we want to put in there that would reinforce our experience? And the final part is the whole area of, you know, psychology. And we've talked a lot in the past about peak end rule, and we've talked about prospect theory, and we've talked about many different aspects. So all those things, you know, what effectively is happening and and breaking that journey down into those stages. One other part that I'm I'm sorry, I get excited by these things. It's quite sad. (laughs) The other key thing that I would ask people to relax, Colin, it's not an iPhone. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you, you know, I, I wish it was. I'd love it. That would be great, wouldn't it, to redesign oh, an Apple experience. Now I started it. <laughs> uh, to redesign an Apple experience, that would be good. So one important thing that I think that a um, uh, little tip for people, include in here what are you going to start doing and what are you going to stop doing? Mm. Because oftentimes it's the bit about, what are we going to stop doing that gets lost? So right. you come out with all these new ideas and new ways of doing things. And, you know, you've also got to start to list out all the things that you would need to stop doing. So coming out of this, we've now got a, here's the new as is experience. It's been ratified by customers. It's been filtered down into what are the best experiences, you know, what are the best ideas the other key factor here is, which I haven't mentioned, is it needs to be done across the organization. So this is not something that two or three of you should do in isolation to the rest of the organization. It should be an inclusive process because when it comes down to doing the actions, if you haven't included people, then everybody will not buy into the change. So you've got to include people in as well. I'm going to come up for air, mate, because I'm conscious I've been rattling on. But I'm sorry, I just get excited by all these things. It's quite sad, really, I know. Hi, this is Colin Shaw. I'm really pleased to announce the launch of my seventh book, which I've called Happy Employees Make Happy Customers. The book is about the interconnection between happy employees and a great customer experience. I explain how you can go about building a great employee experience that drives a great customer experience. For my podcast listeners, I'm also pleased to provide you with a special offer of a third off the regular price. All you have to do is to go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash happy. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash happy. And in the promotional code, simply type happy podcast. That's happy podcast. I really hope you enjoy the read. Well, let me ask you two questions about this. So what does the outcome of this journey process look like in general? So what do 
the client's kind of get at the other side in terms of insights? And then do you have any favorite stories about dramatic findings from this process that just kind of shocked people? They had, they had no idea their customers were experiencing things in this way afterwards. Yeah, so uh, it's a good question. What comes out of it from our perspective is typically a, a very large document that describes in detail what the as-is experience is like and what the to-be experience is like. So a very detailed look at each, the overall, a detailed look at each step, a detailed look at what emotions that they're trying to evoke and and going into the detail of this is therefore what they need to be doing, etc. So, you know, a detailed document that they can then go away and implement. Obviously, if they want to, we we help in the implementations as well. A couple of stories that I think may be interesting, one of which is realizing that when we started work, this was with a hospital system, when we started work with them, the perceived wisdom was that doctors needed to spend more time with patients. Mm-hmm. And we discovered that it wasn't that they needed to spend more time with patients. It was that doctors needed to listen to patients more. And that's a very big difference. Yeah. So you could have increased the amount of time, you could have doubled the amount of time that the doctors spent with the patient. And actually that would have caused the worst experience because they're spending double the amount of time and not getting the outcome. But actually the key insight there was it's about listening. So if you take that down to its natural extension, clearly that means that therefore, and we'll talk about this on another podcast, you've got to then train people on what that new experience looks like. Okay. Because at the moment, all we've done is we've done all this stuff on a, on paper basically and it's all theory you've got to actually make that experience uh, live another example was with a insurance company healthcare insurance company and the key insight there was that what they needed to offer and it was interesting because the way we actually we the way we did the ideation on this was we were looking at, believe it or not, the Olympics. And obviously the Olympics has got nothing to do with health insurance, but we were looking at the Olympics and the thought came out about what's the key thing of key performance. And the thought came out of key athletes, you know, their performance, what's the what's the key thing that gets them there? And one of the thoughts was a coach. And therefore the idea came out about having a health coach. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So somebody who wasn't trying to sell to you, but you would just build a relationship with over a period of time and they would become your health coach. And that was good for the insurance company because if they improve their health, therefore they would make less claims. But also it would, if you're building that relationship, then you would start to build that relationship and therefore they wouldn't move because obviously renewal is a key aspect of things. So those loads of examples like that where you can start to look at the world from a very different perspective. Does that make sense? Very interesting. So I hope that's been useful to uh, people. Again, let me just reiterate the steps for Brian in in New York. First step is walk the experience. 
So go around and, and walk it from your perspective. Second step is to do some research with customers, and we would build this experience wall. Third step is do some ideation and come up with new ideas. Fourth step is then filter those ideas and cost up the ideas and think through what's the impact of those things. Fifth thing is design that new experience. So now you've got all of those elements and you've built out a roadmap effectively of going, okay, so here we are going to now implement it. And in another podcast, we will talk about the next important aspect of this, which is the training of it, because it's all right doing all that stuff. Because, you know, if you do all of those things and nothing changes at the front end, then you've changed nothing, basically. So I hope that's of use. If anybody wants any further information, any further advice, then obviously just reach out to us. Always happy to hear from our listeners and just contact us at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com or just go onto our website and contact us through there. So I think that's about it, Ryan. Any other thoughts? In fact, I I didn't do this. My apologies. What are your pearls of wisdom at the end of this? What have you taken out from this? I mean, the the advice to take your customer's perspective is kind of just good general advice and is really surprisingly hard to do if you don't actively work at it. We started with a fast food example. I guess we can close with one. There was a a Chick-fil-A restaurant near my house that shut down for a couple of months to completely refurbish the restaurant and one of the things that they added was a water feature outside so there's this nice little babbling brook waterfall at the back of the, the restaurant which is beautiful unfortunately it was right next to the box that you spoke into when you were doing your drive-through orders and so that made the ordering process harder and more stressful because now there was sure. ambient noise going on that made it harder to hear they were very responsive they ended up ripping that thing out within a, a month or two Right. But again, you know, from one perspective, you're adding something beautiful to the restaurant. It's going to sure. improve the ambiance. But from that customer perspective, you know, yeah. ordering at the box is one of the more stressful elements until you've walked through in their shoes and kind of seen from that perspective, you'd realize very rapidly that this is a terrible idea. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Looking through yeah. your customer's eyes harder than it should be, harder than it seems like it's going to be. So take that seriously. Yeah, and I think that, you know, sometimes you get these wonderful ideas from head office that totally are impractical when they get down into the local environment. They've clearly been done with the best of intention, but um, when it comes down to implementation, it, it can be a challenge. I think the last thing I would say is there's nothing like just testing things, to be honest with you. You know, you don't have to go big bang here. You can go through that entire process that I've just talked about, test it out, improve it, the other big thing as well is, you know, if you've ended up with 200 ideas and you're implementing, I don't know, 20 of them, 30 of them, you, you've then got a bank of the other 170 ideas that you can implement over a period of time. That's a great point. So it's not just a one-hit piece. So anyway, okay, thanks very much, everybody, and we will um, look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.